Hello, happy Monday. What a delight, what a pleasure it is to be back talking all things EFL and FA Cup third round and a few other bits and bobs this week on the Not The Top 20 podcast, which is sponsored by Betfair. I'm Ali Maxwell, fresh from a, a Northwest football odyssey. Bolton nil, Plymouth nil, Stockport one, Walsall two, a night in Manchester, a very, very happy and energised man after that. And with me is George Ellick. Hello. Hi, mate. It still makes me sad to see you without your beard, I must say. It was something that I agonised about, but I, it's quite a ginger beard that I have. And I'm very proud of that. I've got no issue with it necessarily. But when there's bright lights on a ginger beard, it really enhances it. It, it like orangifies it by about a hundred times all i'm hearing is good things there enhancing Mm. ginger tick tick what i didn't want is for it to take away from the main thrust of the show which was celebrating young talent (laughs) in the efl fair enough and so i think we achieved that but i mean i i basically grew it because we haven't been on tv this season and i felt like that was a nice thing to do while we weren't on tv so um given that we then were uh i thought it was it was it was a sort of symbolic gesture to get rid so your version of I'm going to tweet this every day until he X is sacked is I'm going to keep growing my beard every day until I'm back on TV. And it came to an end. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Now, today's show is both one of my favourite shows of the year, uh, and it is an annual tradition to do mid-season predictions. Who we think from this point is going up automatically, will be going down, and who will be heading into the playoffs in May. It's also a busy show because we've got a couple of other things to talk about. So before mid-season predictions, an express weekend roundup, catching you guys up with all the happenings in Leagues 1 and 2, but also in the FA Cup third round where a few EFL teams were notable for their performance, shall we say? We'll get into that. But even before then, a quick chat about our EFL 21 under 21 show that went out on Sky Sports on on Friday evening. Um, Hopefully many of you will have watched the show on your telly, uh, but if not, hopefully you will have all had a look at the clips. Uh, We tweeted all 21 player analysis uh, clips in one thread, which is pinned to the top of our Twitter account at NTT20Pod. So if you were busy on Friday night, if you didn't get around to watching on Saturday, fear not, you can find out the list of 21 players under 21 that we selected as the brightest in the EFL, uh, and you can watch every single bit of the show on our Twitter feed, which is pretty smart. So go and do that. George, how did you think it went? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought I adopted quite a weird... um, It it felt comfortable at the time. My lean was a bit of a weird one, where I I spent the whole show with my arm around an invisible person sitting between us, um, which when watching it back, I was kind of wondering what I was doing. It's, It's funny how adopting a pose that you associate with being relaxed when you watch it back and anything but. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Look, it was great. Um, we love the, the, the EFL team at Sky. Um, you know, Sean, our, our producer who produced the show, who, who produced um, a lot of our Friday nights and is a great friend of ours and a massive supporter of ours as well. Um, you know, we, we owe him a, a debt of gratitude for, for getting us back on to do the show again for the second year, especially because we're not you know as involved with the, with the EFL coverage uh, as we have been in the past. It's something that he believes in and it was great to be back in and, and seeing people there being being able to sit on that sofa um, and you know chat about football, being able to go into the makeup room with you and watch you charming um, the, the makeup ladies is always an absolute treat. It was a shame that when we went to the, the buffet afterwards, you decided to eat um, chicken goujons rather than your usual kilogram of pasta. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I love doing the show. 
you and I sitting together talking about the best talent in the EFL is an absolute dream. And uh, thankfully, it seems like most people who watched it have enjoyed it so far too. Absolutely incredible support from people uh, on social and also the, the NTT20 squad who who are always hugely supportive, but particularly in big moments like that, really came together, gave such good excitement and energy for it before the show, uh, and then uh, some great thoughts during and after as well. What I want to know from you is two things. I want to know who you think the best talents are from that list, your one or two that you if you had to buy stocks and shares in these players, who would you invest in to make yourself the best return uh, in the next 20 years, let's say? Uh, then we want to talk about like our favourite players because when you do a show like this, you spend so much time watching clips and looking at numbers and learning about the backgrounds of these players. There are some that you just naturally fall in love with, I guess, in a footballing sense. So um, first of all, who do you think are the, the best players, the, the ones that you buy stocks in? If you're taking this from a base level, so we're not talking about the fact that centre-backs generally don't go for as much as, as strikers in the future, um, I think in terms of who is, is going to make it, I think Omar Bamadeli is one who, fitness issues aside, is very, very clearly going to play um, at the top level. Um, you would, you know, It's <clears throat> perplexing that he can't get into the Norwich side recently. Uh, I don't have it to hand, but the, the stat that I um, wheeled out during the show about where Norwich were this season when he became injured um, one point off the top and where they are now 20 points off the top is pretty stark in terms of their defensive record with and without him and I think just the way that he carries himself the way he plays the game uh, he's very clearly destined um, for the top level I think you can probably also say the same with Josh Coburn um, where this is a player yes he's currently playing in League One but he's already been in the infancy of his career a a, a fairly prominent squad member of a, of a top half championship side so Yes, he's in League One now, but this is purely a development loan. It's in no way a reflection of, of his talent or, or where he is and where his ability is. And next season, I am pretty convinced he will either be playing in the Premier League for Middlesbrough or competing at the top end of the Championship for Middlesbrough. You know, I, I, I can't imagine he'll move on. Or so for that if Barra get promoted, a really good Championship loan, I guess, is a third option. I doubt it. I, I think he'll be involved, would, would be my guess. I think having a a homegrown, low-wage option like him um, would be, you know, I, I know they're fairly well-stocked up front at the moment, um, but I would be surprised if he was sent back out again. I just don't think there's any need, really. I think I think he'd be up to the task. I think the way that he plays would, would necessitate that as well. So, you know, they'd probably be the two that I... And then... In midfield, Alex Scott and Adam Wharton are probably the two with, with the highest ceilings, I think. In Wharton, I think you've maybe got the player with the highest possible ceiling where it, I guess it could still feasibly go wrong because the sample size we're working off is incredibly small. But in terms of the attributes that he's got and the age he is at 18, he's probably the only one where if we go forward 10 years and he's one of the best players in world football, you'd be like, okay you know the, the talent is is there so I'm not saying he's going to be that by any stretch but like I, I don't think there's any reason why why he can't be if, if his career doesn't progress in a certain way and he gets picked up by 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 the club because he's clearly got the talent for it and then in in Scott you've got the most nailed on um one who will be a success who is you know you, you've got someone whose ball carrying is, is so exceptional who's um the versatility they're showing from a young age is so impressive, who's managing to shine in a poor team, who I think will definitely get a move in the next six months as well. So there'd be my kind of four 
main ones and they were four of the ones that we picked out for a, a youtube little uh clip that you can find on our youtube channel as well which is the top five um i've spoken for so long that i've forgotten what the the, the second question was classic you know it's the, those covid briefings you're asking me too many questions well i'll take the second question because i think you've you've covered basically my entire thoughts as well on on the the ones with the highest ceiling shall we say the ones that i would want to buy buy stocks in uh in terms of like favorite players it's it's such a fun exercise um such a fun sort of research project first of all you get every single player that's eligible then you add the minutes that they play to get an idea of 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 which players are actually making an impact at senior level rather than just players that you've heard a lot about that you think are quite talented now there's not a sort of hard and fast rule on that because of course we've got people like Wharton in even like Leeburn a couple of the guys at Humphreys at Ipswich, a couple of the guys haven't played tons and tons of football. But those are kind of the exceptions to the rule, I think, because we we, we really are very bullish on what we've seen from them in, in um, limited minutes. For a big part, this is about players who, who we know impact games at senior level, whether it's championship in League One, and, and are having a tangible impact on their team. So the likes of, of Billy Mitchell, for example, he's an interesting player because as a midfield player, um, you know, if if you are holding these players to the highest possible standards and talking about them reaching the, the top of the Premier League and beyond, Billy Mitchell's not an obvious one because he is uh, fairly short. He's quite small stature for a, for a midfield battle. And if you watch any Premier League midfield, you'll know that it's difficult to thrive and, and, and be short. Now, there are obvious exceptions. Of course, you can be so smart and read the game so well that it doesn't matter. But broadly, that is an important part of a, of a midfield battle these days. He's also not got the most expansive passing range. He's probably not the player with like the, the most incredible vision. Again, these are, this is not trying to knock Billy Mitchell. It's just giving, a, giving a, a sort of example of all the sort of things that you have to weigh out. However, he has a very senior role and has done for 18 months, 24 months in a very good um, championship team. He has helped raise the, the performance of that team, Millwall, and is doing so in a, in a role that, that is very, very important on the pitch um, where he, if he has a bad game, Millwall are going to know about it. But if he has a very, very good game, then he can help genuinely dominate games as he did against Watford the other day for Millwall. So I was, I've was i become a big fan of Billy Mitchell, certainly more so than I was before through this process. Definitely the same for Hayden Hackney, who, I mean, just generally his sort of rise over the last few months has been very exciting. But then spending even more time than normal watching clips on him, um, hearing from Borough fans and then... He was probably the one whose whose segment on the show I think got most attention from neutral fans who maybe hadn't seen much of Hackney, who maybe were you know hadn't worked you know hadn't maybe caught on to to the fact of of his huge rise over the last few months and then watched that segment and were like oh okay yeah no I now I see what they're talking about so Hackney's definitely one for me and then I think Kwame Poku and Tyrese Dolan as well more so because I think these are two players who. Uh, I don't know, in Poku's case, I think because he's been around for so long, people sort of assume they know his level and there's probably a feeling that actually in four years, maybe he's used up some of his potential and, and he might struggle to reach the championship and beyond and, and sort of become an established championship player. And that's just not how I see it at all. I, I really think he has the skills to impact games, definitely at the top of League One if he gets a, a solid run of things uh, and a manager that really believes in him and, and keeps him in the team, but also at championship level as well over time. Uh, I, I think he's a wide player with basically everything that you want in terms of uh, ball carrying ability, uh, creative abilities, got wicked in-swinging cross from the right uh, and scores goals as well. So he's someone that I, I just, 
I guess I, I feel really positive about in the sense that I want to throw my support behind him and basically back him to really kick on again from here, uh, whereas some might not be quite so bullish on that. And the same for Tyree Stolen, who's who's only started eight games for Blackburn in the league this season, but who, to my eyes, is someone who I really think could continually impact games uh, towards the top of the championship. And I just want to see that happen. So maybe those two just on a sort of, you know, trying to prove a point personally, trying to prove that I think I've got a good eye for a player. I guess that's that's kind of part of this as well. And then Barley Mumba as well, um, because I met him on Saturday after the Bolton Norwich game and he was absolutely buzzing to have been on 21 under 21. <laughs> and that was really nice to Love see. It. He was very sweet and he... In particular, he was really chuffed that some of his friends were on the list, which I just thought was really nice. So like uh, Omar Bamadeli, he's um, he's mates with from Norwich, and Dan Neal, of course, from his days at Sunderland as well. And he brought those guys up straight away and said how, how chuffed he was that they were on. So that was very nice. Uh, and just in general, I think we're feeling really pleased, uh, relieved that it's it's gone out, it's gone well, it's been well received. Um, so yeah, if you want to go and watch all the clips from 21 Under 21, head to our Twitter account. They're all pinned to the top there uh, and it should be an enjoyable, what, 45 minutes or so. Before we get into mid-season predictions, let's have a quick look at the FA Cup third round and then Leagues 1 and 2. There was one absolute standout EFL performance from the weekend and I cannot wait for you to talk about it. <laughs> Steve Evansonage um, went to Villa Park and came away with a 2-1 win. Um, it is one of the, you know, one of the great FA Cup results, not just in terms of, of a League Two side beating a Premier League team, but the way they did it as well. One um, nil down with three minutes to go. Uh, Villa just having a man sent off and then uh, scoring twice. First penalty um, from Jamie Reid. And then, you know, when you think that Reid has managed to secure a, a replay, getting Stevenage in the hat for the, um, for the, for the fourth round, then it just my favourite thing about this is that Steve Evans is Stevenage, as we know, a, a, an attritional side who do it incredibly well, end up scoring a 90-second winner from a short corner. Is there <laughs> anything more beautiful than that? With, with the ball being rolled to Dean Campbell, taking absolutely everyone in the world by surprise, and he just leathers it into the bottom right-hand corner from, from, from the kind of corner of the box and sends that away stand at Villa Park into just total and utter limbs. It was... You know, it was it was sad that we weren't able to enjoy it um, live on TV as uh, a Manchester City rolled Chelsea over four nil. Um, I think I speak for everybody apart from City and Chelsea fans in saying that it would have been good to be able to to enjoy it live on terrestrial TV. Um, but watching the scenes afterwards and knowing, you know, the Stevenage fans are kind of undergoing at the moment what, in my mind all EFL fans dream of. And that is, you know, yes, you want your club to progress up the leagues and you want to be sustainable success and you probably eventually want to try and get into the Premier League somehow. But I think all we can really ask for is to have those seasons in the sun where you look back and you think, oh, that 22-23 season. And this is a Stevenage side, a club who 18 months ago on merit were relegated into the National League and were preparing for life in the National League and were only reprieved due to off-field activities, due to Macclesfield and, and, and going out of business. They, you know, they, they had recruited players on the premise of being a National League side. Last season, they looked relegated again and Steve Evans came in late on in the, in the campaign and turned it around. So the, the metamorphosis of this club who 
previously punched above their weight incredibly in in you know a decade or so ago, but look destined to return from where they came in the National League under Steve Evans, I think is one of the stories of the EFL over the last decade. Steve Evans clearly isn't everybody's cup of tea, um, whether that is his personality, whether it is his somewhat murky past, um, his touchline demeanour, the football that he plays. But in my mind, and this is with, with all respect to Vincent Company, to Kieran McKenna, to Paul Heckingbottom, um, you know, to, to Joey Barton, I think you probably have to say as well, Steve Evans is doing the best job in the EFL pound for pound by some distance. When you look at where he took over Stevenage and where they are now, going to a Premier League side in Aston Villa, who've just hired a manager in Unai Emery, who's made a career out of winning competition football in the in the Europa League and the, the UEFA Cup. It is absolutely incredible what he has done in terms of taking a side who were relegation fodder, keeping them up last season, taking them to second in the league, and we'll get onto it later, but I'm pretty sure that we both have them in League One next season. And just, you know, the trajectory of clubs often is is pretty obvious where if you're if you're overachieving beyond your me- beyond your means and with that overachievement you cannot lay down the foundation for that to be sustainable, eventually you will fall. And we've seen it, you know, with Burton Albion maintaining their League One level is incredible, but eventually, unless something changes, they are going to return to League Two. And when they get down to League Two, there's there's, there's no saying that they're not going to keep going down, down towards the bottom. It felt like Stevenage's arc was leading them back towards the non-league. And for him to, to, to do what he's done in such a short space of time, irrespective of what you think of him and his football, is an absolute fairy tale and, and all credit to him. No one's doing a better job. They've got a fairy tale fourth round tie at Stoke City, uh, Stevenage. Uh, so <laughs> all eyes on that in the fourth round. They'll fancy it as well, I think. I mean, that's the other thing. It's not, it's not as disappointing, you know, if they got drawn away at, away at Burnley, for example... You know, you'd think it would be hard for them to go and do it again, and um, and they wouldn't get their their big day out. Stoke is still a big scalp, and they're a team not in particularly good form. I, you know, I think Stevenage fans will fancy going up there and and, and having another uh, day out in the um, and have a big big party in the away end. Steve Evans is big scalp. That's why he covered it with that sombrero. Other League Two teams have made it to the fourth round. Grimsby made it three League One clubs that they've disposed of in this year's FA Cup. They dealt with Burton uh, this time around and they head into the fourth round as well. Uh, And then the other League Two side is Walsall, who beat Stockport yesterday. I was at Edgeley Park for this one, my first ever time, my first visit to to Edgeley Park. I was very well looked after and had a great day, but Stockport didn't. Uh, And this this wasn't about Stockport at all. On their side, they would point to missing some pretty crucial players, what they might consider to be their spine. Um, Horsefall's out now for for a moment or two. Uh, Crowsdale in midfield, who who kind of knits things together at the base, and then Paddy Madden was was ill and didn't start this game. So, key man at centre back, centre midfield, and up front. But there's absolutely no denying that Walsall were the better side, created consistently the better chances th- throughout the game. This was not a backs-to-the-wall performance. This was not, um, you know, they didn't treat this like they were a lower league team against a, a, a team higher up in their pyramid, which is what some people might have expected given the level that Stockport been playing at recently. Beating Walsall 2-0 in the league a, a, just a week or so ago uh, and in front of a packed house at Edgeley Park, Walsall's game plan, Mike Flynn's game plan was absolutely perfect. Um, and 
yeah, for, for the most part, they were just simply the better side, for, starting at the back, where I think their back three of Hayden White, Donovan Daniels and Manny Month are just absolutely magnificent. They are so imposing. Um, they, they're, they're, very, they're very narrow back three, so there's really, very little space between them and, and they defend so well. Anything that goes down their throats, they will head it straight back. Um, Carl Wooten's one of the best target men in League Two, and and had a, you know had a few moments where where the ball did stick to him. But I dare say um, a, a sort of a difficult afternoon for him compared to against other League Two centre backs. That the back three are the the ones that stood out for me when it came to Walsall. Um, but all over the pitch, you know, Gordon impressed me at a left wing back. DJ Danny Johnson with a a classic Danny Johnson performance where. You know, was he that involved in the game? No. Did he scamper in behind, make a good run, and then finish over the goalkeeper on the volley from 30 yards? Yes. And the mentality was was fantastic because they did get pegged back. Stockport equalised with five minutes to go. And sort of, you know, received wisdom would be that uh, then Stockport would have a pretty strong go for the last five minutes and use all that momentum that you get in football. It was the complete opposite. Walsall went straight down the other end, won a corner. And then basically stayed at that end for about five or six minutes with a few different corners, a few opportunities, one off the line, uh, and eventually winning a penalty, stuck away by Williams and sending... Wow, that was a great, great away end to watch from afar, I must say. Um, a lot of a lot of very happy Saddlers. So I loved it. The, the, the game plan was good. The mentality was great. The defending was absolutely solid and they created the best chances in the game. Could not have been more impressed, really. And it's a home tie against Leicester which is uh, a bit of fun with with Mike Flynn obviously just continuing an incredible record in uh, in knockout cup competitions. Um so yeah, that was a that was a, a pretty exciting day out for me, I must admit. E- even though Stockport lost, I enjoyed my time there and I got a sense of the yeah, the determination and the motivation of those at the club. I I think they are on and this isn't a surprise. I think they're on a pretty significant upwards trajectory. Um a large and very engaged fan base. And a very competitive budget for the level absolutely helped that. Um, looking forward to keeping an eye on them in the second half of the season. We had another big shock, George, at Sheffield Wednesday, doing over a Newcastle side that have only lost one Premier League game so far this season. How about that? Yeah, it was a, a brilliant display from them. Um, Newcastle put out a, a weakened side, as you probably would expect them to, brought on the big guns <clears throat> um, when things weren't necessarily going their way. But it wasn't enough, I thought. Um, Sheffield Wednesday were brilliant on the day um across the across the pitch you know it was nil nil at half time but a couple of times we'd seen um both smith and his tireless, tireless work rate a, a big newcastle fan um grew up just around the corner from the training ground a really good interview with, with alan shearer before his hero uh before the game on tv as well um and, and then windass who scored the two goals and was incredibly incredibly close to, to getting a third um striking the bar from a free kick which would have been you know, one of the best individual displays we've seen from a uh, in the FA Cup, at least in, in a game like this for a long time. Um, they were good value for the win. Dawson in goal was was magnificent. Made, made a couple of really crucial saves. Um, you know, the decision to to bench Stockdale and bring Dawson in at the moment is is you know a very brave decision. You'd have to say from Darren Moore is, is paying dividends. Um, McGuinness at the back was an absolute colossus. Uh, he is. Such a good player, such a good centre back in terms of the way that he can he defends so so impressively and carries the ball out of defence as well. Um, if they were just a, a really solid side defensively and, and caused Newcastle big issues on the break, especially when you consider that Barry Bannon um, is out injured, uh, I think George Byers is stepping up to the plate. And Bannon's absence had been impressive in the last two games in the league. His little turn that sent I don't know which two Newcastle players it was, where he kind of did a crow turn spinning between two of them to set off the attack for the first goal. Was, was excellent. Um, Windass 
probably was offside for the first, but you know, hey ho, no VAR. Um, I'm not bothered. So yeah, I, 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 it does feel like a kind of landmark win, I guess, for, for Wednesday. Who their fans are certainly believing now that this is their time to return to the championship. They would do so as a club in much better in a much better state than than they did when they came down. Um, you know, even though it, it is still Chancery rule, but but things are, are certainly looking more optimistic at Wednesday, and, and it was a. Uh, and not many teams have been able to beat Newcastle this season, so to do so in 90 minutes was was, was a huge day. And how about Blackpool absolutely thumping Nottingham Forest 4-1? Appy loves the cup. Appy does love the cup, doesn't he? Well, it was a big afternoon for him, you have to say. Got to hope that they take that back into their league games. They've got Watford away next up, Huddersfield at home. Um, they've got Rotherham in a couple of weeks' time as well. So in terms of, uh, shall we say, relegation six-pointers, it's a big few weeks for Blackpool. The confidence that they do play at, at, with at times in attack is something that I think, if it could be harnessed properly and if the, and if it can be a bit more consistent, should be enough to have them score enough goals to stay up in the championship. Like, Poveda here looked absolutely brilliant. He looked full of confidence, skill, trickery, but made the right decisions, scoring goals, setting up chances as well. So, Poveda is definitely on, on the radar for the next few weeks. Could be a big few weeks for him. Uh, what else do we have? We had another championship team beat a Premier League side, Burnley, Bournemouth, um, Benson and Zaruri with braces. They're still drinking the uh, the finishing juice at uh, at Burnley, and no one else seems to to know where to acquire it. Uh, we had League One teams beating Championship teams. Fleetwood beating QPR was a, a great day for the Cod Army. Uh, promise Omakere is going well at the moment, isn't he? And scored a nice little swivel half volley to win this game for them. Uh, and Ipswich absolutely thrashed. Uh, Rotherham 4-1 at Portman Road. Uh, probably most notable for us was the goal from Cameron Humphreys, who's one of our favourite 21 under 21 players from the show. Uh, Wrexham, not of our parish, but probably worth noting that they did quite an exciting win at Coventry. Um, what a fairy tale, etc., etc. Um, no, I, <laughs> even I won't be cynical about that. It was it was very exciting. And elsewhere, who else won games? Derby, Stoke, Sunderland, Reading, Preston, Sheffield United, Blackburn, all into the fourth round. So well done, everyone. There were some League One games as well, George. Well, League Two won, more like, because we had Charlton 2, Lincoln 1, Cambridge 1, Bristol Rovers 2, Morecambe 2, Cheltenham 1. Which of those did you think was the most significant result? I think Charlton's performance, even if the you know the the um, the fact they won at home against Lincoln isn't a massive surprise. I think we are seeing a, a massive improvement from what was from, from them on the pitch um, in terms of individual performers and what we saw previously under under Ben Garner. Um, it's surprising because I saw them um, you know two games ago against Oxford where they were really poor, but that seems to have been just a, a bit of a strange decision from Dean Holden in terms of, of the team that he picked. And now, you know, playing Lieburn from the from the start, such a, a brilliant presence up front, part of our twenty one under twenty one with the assist for the first goal as well. Playing Raksaki, I mean, it's just it, it's it's really weird thinking back that those two were both benched in that in that game in Dean Holden's second game. But he's he's clearly learnt from that, and that they are their two best attacking players. Although I do say that it's great to see Scott Fraser finally showing the kind of form that had you and I cooing over him at MK Dons that, that made me think he was one of the outstanding signings at League One when Charlton signed him you know, 18 months ago. He, he's rarely shown it in a Charlton shirt so far, but under Holden the last few weeks, he certainly has got the goal and the and the assist for their two goals here. They were dominant throughout, yes. Um, Mandriou scored um, a, a quite a strange goal where he seemed to um, you know, 
about four shots saved before he actually stuck it in the back of the net. Um, but but Charlton were, were way clear throughout the whole game. Um, it was a really dominant home performance, one which deserved the three points. And I think is is a sign now that you know you look at their previous wins. You had the the victory over Charlton over Portsmouth that saw the Cowleys leave. But then you know it was uh, Pompey at such a low ebb. The one all draw against Peterborough where. Peterborough were by far the better side. I think this was a sign that, that Holden's got them going in the right way. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Very eye-catching performance for yeah about 80% of that game before quite a nervy last 20. But but winning ugly is probably significant for, for Charlton. They've not done that enough this season. Uh, I, I'd like to put forward Morecambe's third win in a row, all against teams in the bottom eight of League One, lifting themselves out of the relegation zone, having been right down the bottom of it and, and looking... Yeah, pretty desperate and pretty forlorn just a few weeks ago. Never write off Derek Adams' shrimps. It's it's just as simple as that. Hmm. It, it really does feel like things have fallen into place nicely. Suddenly, you look at the team, you look at uh, the standout players such as Shaw and Weir breaking from midfield to great effect. Uh, Phillips leading the line really well, had an unbelievable overhead kick saved in this game, uh, but also set up Weir with some great link play um, for the for the 1-0 goal and scored the, the goal to get them back in front. Um, so the Lonies are definitely offering a lot, all those three players on loan. Um, but as is Adam Mayer, who's a really young 18-year-old uh, they picked up after he was released from a, 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 a one of the um, higher academies uh, and he's slotting in at left wing back at the moment he's a really attack-minded player very comfortable on the ball and looks to be handling you know the rig as a senior football really well someone definitely on the 21 under 21 radar for next season for sure and they were just good for this they were just the better side against Cheltenham I think like even Cheltenham's goal through Alfie May came kind of against the run of play but instead of letting that knock them Morecambe just kind of roused themselves, got back in front and uh, and held on to the win. So three wins in a row for a team that's famously never been relegated in its whole history. I think we're going to come back to, to Morecambe later on in the, in the mid-season prediction. Uh, we also had Bristol Rovers beating Cambridge 2-1. Just the four shots total from Bristol Rovers, according to the stats. Uh, two, of them, Bizarre. two of them were in the space of two seconds as well when Coburn was one-on-one, had his first shot saved and then headed home the rebound. So doing a lot with with what they did muster, uh, George. But again, showing some very exciting attacking play on the break in particular, and in particular those names again, Collins and Coburn. Yeah, I mean, Collins and Coburn, clearly the two um, key players for them yet again here. It was just a a really strange game, really. Uh, Sam Smith giving Cambridge the lead early on um, and then Bristol Rovers coming back and scoring twice. Uh, with Coburn and Sinclair getting the two goals. And then after that, the game just really fizzled out. I think I'm right in saying that there, there wasn't a shot, I don't think, in the last 20 minutes of the match, which is pretty disappointing, especially if you are a um, if you are a, yeah, two shots in the last half an hour, both both to Cambridge. Um, but if you're a Cambridge fan and you're expecting something of a... Um, and both of them are from about 30 yards. If you're a Cambridge fan expecting a, um, you know, a bit of a fight, given the, the current form and you're one, you're 2-1 down at home and you can't muster anything of note at all against a side who aren't really showing any attacking intent either um yeah really disappointing you've got to be fearful for Cambridge uh you know we will talk about them I'm sure later on don't don't, don't write them off either don't write anyone off at this stage but um but yeah at the moment things have, have been so poor for for weeks now and it's hard to really make a case for for why it would improve really sad as well for Steve Seddon who Moved on loan to Cambridge on Friday and was stretched off in the first half with a, a serious facial injury, um, which is not ideal um, for a guy who seemingly is 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 one of the good one of the good guys um, off the pitch. So, fingers crossed, he makes a recovery soon. Mm. 
Big win for Bristol Rovers. Still in good shape. Uh, Bolton nil. Plymouth Argyle nil. I am going to talk about despite it being 0-0 because I spent my afternoon at Bolton. I had a I had a great few hours there. It was good to be there. And it was a, it was a very entertaining game, particularly the last 20 minutes or so when it opened up a little bit. Uh, it was pretty breathless stuff and I, I wasn't that keen for it to finish, to be honest, because I think if they played another 10 minutes, there probably would have been a goal. Although, you know, I could probably make a case for either team scoring it. Um, Bolton clearly the better side and I was really impressed with them and um, watching them in the flesh. The intensity with which they play. I mean, I was sitting really near the dugout and Ian Ever is just He's like a sort of uh, orchestrator, um, a conductor of their press. And I just love any team really that that wants to play with an attacking front foot mentality uh, and with that sort of aggression, particularly against the league leaders. Uh, I like the mental, I like the mindset that it instills in a team. Uh, and it, it's, it's a good tactic for them. They had the better of this game. Plymouth were a little bit suffocated. They had Cosgrove up front on his own, really, with uh, Hardy on the bench and, and Ennis not in the squad. So uh, Mayer in the 10 role with with Callum Wright, who was making his debut. And that front three just didn't didn't really click at all. Those two guys um, didn't get that close to Cosgrove. He didn't get that much change out of the defenders, uh, to be honest. Ameson in particular had a very good game for, for Bolton. Uh, all of the back three did, really. But Argyle just never really got going. Having said that, Bolton didn't create tons and tons of chances. And I think that reflects quite well on Argyle and, and just generally their sort of sturdiness and solidity and, and maybe projecting them as a as a potential automatic uh, promotion uh, team for this season is that, you know, they didn't play very well, but they still defended really well. They were still good out of possession and they didn't give up that many chances. And inevitably, Mike Cooper made a couple of big saves as well. Um, but it was just good to be there. Like, I think Bolton are in a good a good place on and off the field. That was the feeling that I got from chatting to some of the fans. Um, the fan zone is is absolute class. Uh, it's exactly what's needed when the stadium is located where it's located. But it, it feels like the fans are really buying into that as a kind of pre-match location. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just think I just think it's a club going in the right direction, which is, you know, it's it's probably not breaking news, but it's nice to see that because there was a good few years there where we were pretty concerned about Bolton and they suffered back-to-back relegations. Um, that's for sure. Uh, what else is notable from that game? Oh, uh, the new lad, Wayne. Ben Wayne is the new Plymouth Argyle striker. He came off the bench here. Uh, he's from New Zealand and they signed him from Wellington Phoenix, which I just think is quite unusual and quite Plymouth Argyle and therefore quite fun. Um, before he came on, he just necked a Red Bull which yeah. I think probably does happen quite a lot, but still, as a, as a man Wings. who is not keen on energy drinks, just really, that really upset me a little bit. I was worried for him. <laughs> I, I just, I just, Wings. I figured he was going to sprint around for like five minutes and then just completely crash. But uh, anyway, he did all right. He, he almost nicked it with a kind of random loopy header that was brilliantly cleared off the line. Um, met Barley Mumba after the game, as mentioned. Maybe he'd done a shot of Jaeger just before. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um Sir Alex Ferguson was there, about 10 rows behind me. That was good. He he probably enjoyed his, his day out as well. Mike Duff, I saw. Michael O'Neill. A lot of other managers going to watch uh, watch a bit of football. Uh, Peter Reid was there as well, former Bolton legend. Uh, just a good day. Really? Just a good day. No, no. Back to you. Uh, in League Two, a couple of lively performances and results, George. Maybe most notably Mansfield 2, Barrow 3. Bonkers game. Bonkers game. Because this felt like... Mansfield, who have not been good enough, especially against teams around them. Um, looking at their their record earlier today, if you look, if you're taking the current top six, including Barrow, 
Um, so if you take the current top eight, including Barrow, so Barrow are currently in six, and they beat Barrow 1-0 on the road. Their record against the other top eight, Mansfield, have lost 1-0 away at Leighton Orient, drawn 0-0 away at Stevenage, drawn one all at home to Northampton, drawn 0-0 at home to Carlisle, got beat 2-1 by Bradford, got beat 2-0 at Salford, and got beat 5-2 at home to Swindon. And then here, beaten 3-2 against Barrow. Their record against those teams is unbelievably poor. Like if, if you take that chunk out, they're one of the they're they're, they're up there with Orient and um, and Stevenage for their record against against poorer sides. But they were two 0 up here and were coasting. They were two 0 up. They were really good value for their two goals, even if both were absolute gifts from Barrow. Um, the first being a, a a free kick that you know should have been a fairly comfortable save, a fairly comfortable tip round the post, um, but it, it wasn't dealt with properly um, and, and you know went into the far corner for, for McLaughlin. Farman certainly should have done better. And then um, Ray was caught passing out from the back and Quinn was able to make it 2-0 after 25 minutes and it felt like that was it. And, and Barrow struggled to get into the game after that. And then, you know, when you're watching the game back, you can hear the um, over the tannoy, Two minutes of additional time in the first half. This was one of Barrow's first forays into the Mansfield final final third. And Billy Waters with a, a bizarre finish. I mean, a, a great finish, but I think um, no one in terms of the Mansfield defence um, or Christy Pym expected he was going to be able to whip it into the far corner the way he did. Um, I think everyone kind of didn't really know where, where they were standing in, in relation to the goal. And suddenly it's 2-1 and the game is very different, even though Barrow hardly had any, any say. Josh Gordon came on at half-time, um, having not started, and um, was the catalyst for, for you know for, for massive improvement, scoring the equaliser after 49 minutes, and then you could hear the absolute chorus of boos um, after 77 minutes when, when an own goal from Molly Hawkins, where I think Gordon will claim it, um, was turned in after a really nice bit of build-up play. Um, Waters with a, a great ball with the outside of his right boot um, out to the right-hand side. I think it was Warren who put the ball in. Um, and yeah, it was just so avoidable. The first half performance for, for 45 and a half minutes was dominant against a really decent side in Barrow. And as soon as they were pegged back, the game just completely changed. Um, the Barrow fans behind that that, that goal um, got their money's worth, having seen them go 2-0 down and scoring the two goals in the second half. I've never seen away fans so dispersed. I don't know if COVID rates are high in Barrow at the moment. It was bizarre. They're all kind of sitting across the whole length of the of the stand but um, a, a great day out for them a big three points for them in their quest for the playoffs and you know, Mansfield and, and, and Nigel Clough have to sort this out pretty quickly we were saying similar this time last year and they ended up finishing the playoffs and getting to the playoff final um, he's someone who can instigate a change but right now they are shooting themselves in the foot pretty regularly Elsewhere I think a real statement win for Leighton Orient uh, on paper a 1-0 win at home to Doncaster when you're top of the league doesn't stand out but but as discussed on the betting show this is a, an Orient side really struggling with injuries at the moment they had um, Brown at centre-back who is not a natural centre-back though, and, and that centre-back pairing of Beckles and Happy uh, have been so important for them this season so um, very significant to keep a clean sheet uh, it looked like Donny made kind of a, a bright start in this one uh, maybe they, they they kind of knowing Orient's um, absences at the back thought maybe they could try and catch them cold um, and, th- and they had a decent go in the first 20 but then seemingly just lost their spark and the game was a pretty quiet one Orient were not necessarily at their best either but one magnificent moment from Theo Archibald uh, I was really pleased to see this I, I I think while people have been talking about Paul Smith this season as the best player in League 2 up there with Sam Hoskins you'd probably say and rightfully so I'm, I've been keen to keep mentioning Archibald because 
I think on the other side, he is also playing very, very well. He's he's not quite getting the uh, amount of goals as Smith, but he's a slightly different player. And I think he's got absolute quality for this level in terms of his vision um, and uh, and obviously the quality in his left foot, as we saw here with a brilliant strike. He does take quite a lot of long shots. Not all of them go in, but it's he, he is part of a of, of Leighton Orient's threat, which isn't just Paul Smith off the left, but Archibald off the right as well. And seeing them in the flesh, it was pretty clear that the way that they build up is almost always with the objective of getting the ball into the feet of Archibald and Smith and getting them 1v1 against their fullbacks and kind of seeing what happens from there. And it's obviously worked for them very well this season. So a magnificent winning goal from Archibald, but the clean sheet probably um, just as significant for Orient. That's 11 clean sheets in 13 home games for them, which I think is incredible because... Wellens is known for his attacking style of football, but that's just an insanely strong and consistent defensive record to have and clearly just as powerful in terms of keeping you at the top of the table as uh, scoring lots of goals. So uh, that was that. Uh, Sulphur beat Cobblers 2-1 uh, live on Sky. Galbraith and Hoskins traded goals and then McElhenney on on the break won it. Uh, and it seems like Salford held on with relative comfort, which would be disappointing for Northampton. Only had three shots in the last half an hour, which is not ideal when chasing the game. So that, that squeezed things up a little bit uh, when, when a team beats a team above them in the table. The same thing happened uh, Colchester against Harrogate. Cole, you winning 3-1 at Harrogate. Considering they hadn't won an away game all season until Boxing Day, I'm really impressed with Colchester here. I'm impressed, therefore, with Matt Bloomfield and the impact he seems to be having on this team, a team that really needed an impact. Harrogate seemingly struggling to defend, which is nothing new, uh, in particular defending fairly basic long balls forward um, for the first two goals. And then a lovely bit of play from a youngster, Samson Tovide, to create the third goal, uh, squared it for the equally young Chamado and then Tavide basically celebrated the goal as if he had he was the goal scorer, which I really enjoyed and was absolutely the right thing to do. So elsewhere, Tramir 2, Sutton 2, Rochdale 1, Newport 1, Crew 0, Wimbledon 0 was a match that happened. Time for mid-season predictions. Oh yes. Always exciting and actually always surprisingly difficult. From doing this in the last few seasons... And from running a competition alongside it, initially on Twitter and now just for those on NTT20 squad, we've learned a few things. One, people are still bad at predicting what will happen, even halfway through a season. Two, recency bias is a huge thing. People find it very hard to look past what they've seen just in the last few weeks or the last few months. Uh, of course, the league table itself plays a huge part, really does blind people to the fact that it, it does change. The league table does change. I always find that so weird with this, as how people are like, how can you say that? Have you not seen have you not seen this season? And you're like, well, I mean, yeah, if, if, if everyone just tracked at the same rate they were going this <laughs> thus far, let's just call it, let's just call it quits in Jan. Things change and that's up to us to try and work out which teams are in, in false positions? Which ones are, are going to improve in it and, and go backwards? Yeah, I find it, it's, it's weird how it seems to be revolutionary to say that someone in 13th is going to finish sixth. Well, lots will change from this point. Uh, it was never better summed up than I think two seasons ago. I still I still can't actually believe this. We did the competition on Twitter and, and it was pretty simple. It was just predict the seven automatically promoted teams, two from the champ, two from League One, three from League Two. We had 133 people enter our competition to predict the seven automatically promoted teams. And no one got more than four out of seven correct from 133 EFL lovers. Now, it might be a bit different this season where the teams at the top, some of them do seem a little bit more nailed on. But who knows, George? Let's start in the championship. 
where last season we got this right at the top and at the bottom. We both had Fulham and Bournemouth going up at mid-season point, which they did. And we we both had Derby, Barnsley and Posh relegated. When it came to the playoffs, way off, more like, because no. we both said... We both said West Brom, Blackburn and Borough, none of whom made the playoffs. And I topped it off with QPR, who didn't make the playoffs. And you said Sheffield United, who did, with Forest, Huddersfield and Luton. So you beat me there. Uh, Championship, top two, autos. Talk to me. Burnley and Sheffield United finish in that order. Um, I know I've got a feeling you're going to say Sheffield United pit Burnley um, for, for reasons already expressed on this podcast. I know that Burnley are, are over performing their XG and they're, they're, they're finding, you know, they're scoring with a ridiculous rate of their shots. But as I said, they're covering, they're beating teams by two or three goals so consistently that I'm not sure if that redresses to the to the mean, if that's really going to matter. Um, and their defensive record in certain games where they just completely nullify teams is so impressive. And I've been a little bit concerned about Blades post the World Cup where they've been aside for the first half of the season who controlled games, controlled possession, would sit in, in the opposition halves. The passing stats are really weird now. I don't know if it's deliberate, but suddenly they are conceding loads of possession um, in games and loads of territory as well. The, the defence aren't really keeping it at all. They're looking to get the ball forward and, and kind of squeeze. It's kind of working, I guess. Although, you know, the Coventry game was, was a bit of a weird one where I'm not entirely sure they deserved it. And then, of course, they, they dropped points as well last time out. So, uh, too early to be like, I um, I think they are, you know, going to drop away. But in terms of, of choosing between these two, I think Burnley are, are pretty far clear. I've got the same top two. It's a five-point gap between them currently with 20 games left. And you're right, I have presented a, a pro-Sheffield United stance in the last few weeks with a little dash of Burnley hot finishing streak narrative. Uh, I don't think the gap will get any bigger than five points or not significantly bigger than, than five points. I don't think that Burnley will run away with it uh, and I think we will get an exciting title race. But I am going to still go for Burnley to finish top. They just seem completely unfazed by anything or anyone at the moment. Aside from that very eye-catching and large defeat against Sheffield United. Just the, the level of confidence that they're able to, to present, I think, is is making teams just shrink, basically, against them. Whereas Sheffield United, who are also winning almost every single game, let's be honest, it just them winning games seems a tiny bit harder, shall we say, than Burnley winning games, even though they generally do so. So uh, I am going to say uh, Burnley first and Sheffield United second. Uh, in the playoffs... Uh, I'm going to put Middlesbrough in there because I think they are playing like a top two team at the moment under Carrick. I think the signing of Cameron Archer could be one of the most significant that gets made in the championship window. I rate him so highly that I find it difficult to imagine that he doesn't score at a pretty good rate. And I don't think it necessarily has to come at the sacrifice of Chuba Akpom goals. Um it will be difficult for him to maintain the same rate whether Archer was there or not, but I do think they can complement each other in Carrick's system. Uh, I see them finishing in the playoffs. I see West Brom finishing in the playoffs uh, under Carlos Corboran. Um, so good out of possession. Feels like the players are all really buying into it because, frankly, the players are all thriving. And it's a group of players who have been much maligned over the last few years amongst the West Brom fan base. A lot of them now um, showing that they, you know, they can be part of a, a good and winning championship team. A little concerned about the off-field issues around West Brom and Jalbin. I don't think it's the type of stuff that will completely derail the team necessarily in the in the next six months. And I do think Cormoran's the sort of manager who 
can get on with his work with without you know necessarily getting too distracted by something like that. So I've got Borough and West Brom in there. Um, and if anything, George, I wouldn't be surprised if those two teams pick up a similar amount of points to Burnley and Sheffield United from now on until the end of the season because I think they're playing at a really yeah, high I level. Um, I assumed that you had them in there as well. So it's the other two spots I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm going to leave out both Watford and Norwich. Uh, I thought long and hard about this. I think Norwich are, are, are so far back now. I've got reservations about the the Wagner appointment, um, and I think you basically have to forget that they're called Watford and Norwich because that can can sway things. I think the fact that Watford went to to Norwich in the state that Norwich are in without Joao Pedro and got that incredible one 0 win, but the fact that it was such an impressive result, <laughs> I think shows just how much disarray Watford are in right now. And yes, they've got January and they'll probably strengthen, but the, the loss of Joao Pedro is absolutely massive. Concerns that Ishmael Assar might move on as well. I don't think Bilic has done anywhere near as good a, or revolutionary a job as he did at, at West Brom. Um, so there are just too many doubts over both. And, and I think if they were, as I say, called other names, it would be easier to leave them out. I'm going to leave out Blackburn as well. I don't really understand what's going on there but I have to be be true to myself and my beliefs that I cannot put in a side who are so regularly outshot who so regularly lose the XG battle who so regularly score these long shots or deflected shots it's bad I mean I I've got a, a huge soft spot for Blackburn for, for reasons I'm not sure I've ever spoken about on the pod before but growing up as, a, as an Alan Shearer fan before I discovered Oxford friends who support Blackburn um, you know guys you and I both who both know guys I've known for a long time I'm a, I'm a you know if I had to um, list my pre-pod favourite EFL teams Blackburn would be on there but at the moment I'm not sure what's going on 16 wins 12 defeats no jaws 30 goals scored 30 conceded I just cannot see this continuing until the end of the season although I sat here saying similar things about Huddersfield and Luton last season I'm going to put Millwall in who are currently in sixth you know the, the data is projects very well on them they've got one of the best expected uh, goal differences in the league this season I think they're a very well-rounded attacking threat I think Gary Rowett is is as solid a manager you're going to get. And it's very hard for me to see a reason why they would drastically fall away. I think they've proven themselves to be the requisite quality over the last 18 months. And in a, a poor edition of, of the championship, I think they have the staying power to stay there, especially with Zion Fleming starting to show just how good he is. And then in, in terms of the fourth team to pick, I do definitely think, as I mentioned on the betting show, I think the likes of Coventry, Coventry Swansea and Hull are very much in this even though they are down in, in, in 14th, 15th and 16th. But in terms of the most likely, I don't think they're there. I'm going to just about plump for, for Sunderland over Luton. Um, I think Luton is a recency bias case. You've got a new manager. There's no denying how good, um, how important Nathan Jones was. And um, yes, Rob Edwards has made a great start, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see tricky times around the corner for somebody coming into what was such a well-oiled machine beforehand. Although we have seen, of course, Luton get promoted mid after Nathan Jones left the mid-season before. But in Sunderland, you know, it's 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 easy to forget that they has played half the season without any strikers. Um, yes, Ellis Sims has been recalled, which is a, a big blow to them. But Ross Stewart is back, and that is massive. In terms of, of, of Ahmad Diallo, they've got one of the most talented players, attacking players in, in the league. Jack Clark, I think, probably falls under that category as well. Patrick Roberts in, in really good form too. Uh, in midfield, you've got Dan Neal, part of 21 under 21. They're playing well. They've got Antonio Mowbray, a manager I'm, I'm, I'm very keen on. And they've got points on the board too to go with it. So it's marginal. I wouldn't be particularly confident on any of these apart from the, 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 the baggies and borough picks. But those are the two that I'm, I'm going to go for. I'm with you on Millwall. I'd probably 
this is why this is such an interesting exercise to actually sit down and try and work it all out because I probably wouldn't have thought that they'd be one of my picks despite the fact they're currently in the playoff places but when weighing everything up and comparing them against all the other teams in this seeded batch I feel like they are the most solid the most robust uh, and have this much improved attacking uh, output attacking threat this season uh, and I think they can do it I think they will do it because I don't I don't see them getting knocked off course and there are other clubs who I would I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of bad results and they just get knocked off course I don't think that's likely to happen with Millwall that's my perception of them I am putting Norwich in here uh, and that's despite agreeing with you that they look all over the place at the moment that they have one of the most miserable vibes of any of the clubs here I think that just leaning on that um, would be you know I'm basically trying to fight against a bit of recency bias here and the fact that they've looked so poor because they have accrued a certain amount of points that has... I think you said they were way off. They're like three points off the playoffs. <laughs> it's like one... They're literally like two good weeks away from being in the playoffs. Um, so I don't agree that they're a long way off. I agree that they've looked a long way off, but they have a new manager. Yes, they lost... Yes, they lost his first game in the FA Cup to Blackburn. I'm not that worried about that. I have fairly mixed thoughts on how things will go under David Wagner, but I, I can see... I can see the path to success for them if everything's in place and if he can get a grip on this team like he did the Huddersfield team when he enjoyed when he joined them albeit that is now five or six years ago I can see how it could work I do think they are one of those teams who have a group of players that everyone thinks is rubbish at the moment not good enough this squad is bad and it you know they're all just not good enough for what they're for what they should be and I just think it's one of those teams where if the manager's performing well and sets them up properly and they get a bit of confidence and they get a few wins, I can absolutely see them putting together a run where they pick up tons of points and people will go like, oh, maybe they're not actually that bad. Like that just happens all the time. And if I'm thinking of any of the clubs in the batch that I could see putting together a good run, even though it's probably the one with the most question marks at the moment, I still think uh, Norwich City. So I'm going to have them in there. Could look terrible. Could look quite good. Uh, Championship relegation. Um, I can't disagree with the three favourites currently on the Betfair Sportsbook. The three favourites are Wigan, Rotherham and Huddersfield. I'm pretty down on Wigan. Uh, It's it's definitely been an alarming few weeks, so there's every chance this is a little bit recency. Um, But they have looked very, very poor, having made a managerial change, which leaves them in a slightly peculiar situation where they've, they've gone after someone with no experience. They've had a very bad first few weeks. He's trying to implement a style of play that that hasn't worked in the short term. Is the sort of thing that maybe could work with a lot of time on the training field, but that doesn't feel great for being in the midst of a season and the midst of a relegation battle. So I do think Wigan are likely to go down uh, along with with Rotherham United. Um, I don't have the feeling that the transition from Warren to Taylor has been uh, smooth at all. In fact, quite the opposite. They seem to have lost um, all of the aspects that I think made them quite so competitive and impressive under Warren. And I don't necessarily see what Taylor's trying to do, um, bearing a lot of fruit in terms of the players, A, being able to do it and B, getting buy-in from them. That's just how I perceive Rotherham at the moment. And then for me, it's kind of Huddersfield against Blackpool. I know Huddersfield have been so bad for most of the season. They've picked up a few more points recently. Um, I'm still going to pick them to go down over Blackpool despite having a bit of a pulse recently I I don't think there's any scope for January improvement for Huddersfield and it's a squad that 
very rarely looks good consistently, albeit sometimes in flashes. Uh, some of these players do do come in and have an impact. I don't think Fotheringham's got much to work with. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have a, a decent stint where they revert back to just being quite a poor team. Um, so I'd probably believe in Blackpool a little bit more than Huddersfield. So my bottom three, Wigan, Rotherham and Huddersfield. Yeah, I've got the same bottom three. Um, I think Rotherham are down as far as I'm concerned. The Nest something massively changes. You, you cannot concede as many chances as they do per game and expect to stay up, um, which is disappointing. But I think it's just a, a real case of Paul Warren was a magician and it's, it was going to be, you know, I'm not even blaming Matt Taylor. It's going to be very hard to come in. If anything, I think Warren leaving, leaving them up an eighth or wherever they were was, was the hardest thing for Taylor because it was just never going to be possible to sustain that. Um, yeah, with Wigan, I'm, I'm, massive red flags with what we've seen from Carlo Torre, as I said to Wigan fans at the time when Richardson was sacked, you cannot, you know, sack a manager in Liam Richardson for for playing uh, an attritional style of football or, or not particularly pretty style of football that won the, the title the season before that he'd built a squad for and expect Carlo Torre to come in and completely change that. They do not have the players to play the way that Torre wants them to relate, to play. And even though I'm sure they'll look okay in flashes, I, I cannot see them um, unless they tear it up and start again, managing to pick up the points needed it's a, a yeah a, a bizarre decision in my mind to, to make the change when they did. Um, with Huddersfield, yes, they had those back-to-back wins over Preston and and Rotherham. I think the Rotherham home win was a bare minimum given how poor Rotherham have been recently. And then that win at Preston, a huge win, but it was a bit smashy and grabby. They were behind in the game. It was two forest forward and two goals. Um, so maybe a bit of a false dawn. I do think that Appleton will improve Blackpool, as I've said on social media recently. Uh, I think we've started to maybe see that already. I think Bowler coming back is going to be transformative for them. I expect them to make a couple more additions. Chris Badlam, who did such a good job at Coventry, uh, now working behind the scenes at Blackpool, which will be a big benefit to a manager in Appleton who's got a great recruitment record anyway. So, um, yeah, so long as things... The only issue there is that I don't think Appleton will get sacked anytime soon. I know the fan feeling towards him is very negative. So I... They have to turn it around soon or things are going to get very toxic. But hopefully that win uh, against Nottingham Forest will help with that. So those are my, three, my relegated three. I do think looking at the, the Betfair Sportsbook prices, both Cardiff and Bristol City are, are massive, massive bets. At seven and two and five to one. You know, they're both sitting just above the relegation zone. They're both playing very poorly. I don't think there's anything to suggest that they're they're way better. They're, they're, you know, they're way too good to be pulled back into it in case Wigan and Huddersfield... Um, start do start picking up points so there's probably value there but in terms of the three I think we'll go down it's got to be those three and also just to jump in one last thing on, on Huddersfield I forgot to say it before you know there's a lot of focus on the Blackpool fans relationship with Michael Appleton and how that could um, you know when you mix it all together that the, the, the bad atmosphere could have an impact on the team but Huddersfield are not in a great place either in terms of uh, how the fan base is feeling both about Fotheringham who I don't think they particularly bought into yet uh, and also huge concerns over the the sort of future funding of the club as well so for me like the next few games are huge for Huddersfield they play some of the teams around them and if the points return from those isn't great I think this kind of pulse that they've seen might might be extinguished um, and and this fan base who aren't exactly fully bought in might um, sort of start to turn again and and obviously that's always going to hurt the confidence of the players too so uh, yeah seems like we're in mostly in agreement in fact the only difference in the championship is that I've got Norwich making the playoffs and you had Sunderland in League One I'm nervous already about this, I'm going to be honest. Um, last year, let's remind ourselves, George picked Rotherham and Wigan to finish in the top two. And they did. I picked Rotherham and Sunderland to finish in the top two. 
and that did not happen. So George beat me there. In the playoffs, well, obviously I had Wigan not in the top two, so they were in my playoffs. Uh, I also had Oxford and Oxford and Wickham and Portsmouth. So one out of four with Wickham in the playoffs. Uh, you had Sunderland, Oxford, Wickham and MK Dons. Uh, so that was three out of the four with Sunderland, Wickham and MK. But uh, your Oxford bias showing there, as always, mate, uh, but still beating me. And then in, in the relegation, both had Doncaster, Crew and Gilles, who, who did go down. Uh, I picked Fleetwood, you picked Morecambe. Neither of them went down. So uh, it was Wimbledon who were the blind spot. Can't believe we didn't predict that they wouldn't win a single game in the whole second half of the season. Idiots. Idiots. League One top two feels like a real tightrope. So walk it for me. Yeah, my top two are Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday, I'm afraid. I think Argyle have done incredibly to get where they are. I would absolutely love to see them win the league or come second. I think it's eminently possible that it might happen, but we are purely here to say what we think is the most likely to happen. And I can't disagree with the bookmakers um, who who agree with, with that and that order as well. Um, I think there's a couple of key things here. Yes, the gap is, is it seven at the moment from, from Argyle down to, um, to uh, Ipswich? Ipswich have a game in hand and because these teams are so relentless in terms of of what they're doing um, and and their form in the league, you know that that game in hand is probably worth about two points. Should we say at this stage in terms of you know the, the points per game, and then I think a, a key part of this as well is that Ipswich Town have to play both Plymouth Argyle and Sheffield Wednesday at Portman Road, and Ipswich at Portman Road are, are the best team in this league by by absolutely miles. And if they do win both of those games, and they'll be odds on to do so, then that puts them in the driving seat to win the league. Um, it's also weird with Ipswich where. It's similar to what we saw with Brentford for a few years where the teams who are best run, who have the best manager, who play the best football, who have the best recruitment, arguably, seem to then be undone by the data where they've had so many games a season where they've dropped points in ways that you just cannot imagine, where they've battered sides and been the better team by miles. You just have to look to the Lincoln game where against 10 men, where Lincoln only completed 63 passes in the game but came away with a point. It's mad how often it happens, how they haven't been able to convert leads into into wins but I think over the course of the 46 games the cream will rise to the top Plymouth um, dealt a blow with losing Whitaker as well um, I think it reminds me a lot of that season where Shrewsbury finished third behind behind Wigan and Blackburn where you just think in normal seasons they would have been Shrewsbury that season under Paul Hurst would have gone up but there were just two class teams who were so far clear of everyone beneath Shrewsbury it feels the same to me this time where Argyle might be, be valiant third I hope I'm wrong I'm not Embarrassed to say that. I hope Argyle do finish in the top two because we like to see well-run clubs do well. Um, but Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday aren't, aren't being aren't being um, you know aren't doing too badly either at the moment. So uh, yeah, that's my top two. Yeah, I got the same as you. I basically just did my own points per game projections for what I thought from now on to the end of the season because I, th- I because of the points that Argyle have already, I did think there was a a chance that even if they drop off, they could possibly still hit a pretty ridiculous number. That is what I found. Like, I think if Argyle drop a little bit off, which I think they will, let's say they drop off to a level of 1.8 points per game, which is still very impressive. It's still higher than the next best teams in the league, your Derbys, your Boltons, your Barnsleys, but it's still a bit of a drop off from where they are now. That's probably where I pitch them from now till the end of the season. They'd still get 93 points if they go at 1.8 points per game for the rest of the season. The problem is I have, using 
done similar projections for Wednesday and Ipswich based on what I think. And I have Wednesday finishing on 94 and I have Ipswich finishing also on 94. So if what I think happens, happens, we could be in for possibly the most exciting finish to a league season that I can remember. If we have 94, 94 and 93... But yes, sticking with preseason picks with, with Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday. That means in the playoffs, I've got Argyle. I also think Barnsley and Derby are pretty sturdy uh, for playoff berths. I'm a little bit concerned because I, I still don't think Derby's pure squad depth is that impressive. I'm not even sure Barnsley's squad depth in certain areas of the pitch is that impressive. Um and I'm not entirely sure what their January transfer window plans are, the both of them. But I think they're pretty sturdy overall. I like what their managers are doing there, Warren and Duff. So I've got Barnsley and Derby making it as well. They're in strong positions to do so. And then the last spot I, th- I think is interesting. Um, do you go with Bolton, who are in there at the moment? I was very impressed with them uh, over the weekend against Argyle. Uh, do you decide that Darren Ferguson might save Peterborough and, and steer them back on on track, you know, they're not a million miles away. Wickham have been in really good shape recently, have, have taken points off some of the top teams as well. Bristol Rovers, clearly very exciting. Uh, then you've got like Port Vale and Charlton and Portsmouth also not a million miles away. I think for me, it's it's Bolton versus Wickham versus the potential for Peterborough to maybe get back on track under Darren Ferguson. I'm going to go with Bolton. I just think that their top level is, is highest. Their ceiling... Their ceiling is highest. Uh, I could see them putting together a really strong run of results over like a 10-game period and just cementing that spot in the playoffs. Maybe because I was sat there on Saturday and, and very impressed. Maybe it's that, yeah, heady cocktail of, of both recency bias and availability bias. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Bolton, Derby, Barnsley and Argyle <laughs> in the League One playoffs for me. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think Derby are, will end up closest to the, to the top three in my mind. Um, Barnsley with the games in hand as well are, are right there um, Bolton I think year on year they seem to improve in the second half of the season under Ever. I think we'll see the same again here and they're coming from a pretty good good start so um, yeah then Argyle being the fourth I do think Port Vale are maybe the joker in the back where over quite a big you know sample size of games they've been very good they're lowering the table because of games in hand but they could be ones to crash the party and you can't rule out Bristol Rovers either who we know under Barton are very capable of putting in runs of form that, that could see them there with the quality they've got up front they could get there. But in terms of likely, I'm I'm on the same page as you. Okay, League One relegation. Wow, this is seriously difficult. Um, four relegation spots and I mean really a group of you could probably stretch it to about nine or ten teams who who are you know who could feasibly still get relegated because we know what can happen when a team just falls off a cliff like Wimbledon uh, this time last season. They certainly proved that. Um, I think Forest Green will go down. They have the hardest spread of fixtures of any teams in the discussion. Of course, there's there's 20, 21 games to go. So in theory, everyone still has to play almost everyone. But the spread of, of home versus away, I think Forest Green have the toughest task. For me... A big part of this is is kind of quite an unusual, like intangible opinion for me about like battle and grit and fight. It's not something that I like to talk about that much um, because I think it's really hard to measure that sort of stuff. I wouldn't be confident in being able to do so. And also because I'm not always that comfortable making judgments on what is essentially the character of people or the character of a collective group of people. I'm pretty uneasy doing that. But like any football fan, like you do have 
opinions on this stuff, whether they're rational or not. And I think in terms of a relegation battle like this, like, you know, in footballing terms that there is an ability to grind out a point or grind out three points or get through difficult periods within games. And that can make a big difference when you're talking about a relegation battle where it's likely that getting just one point per game will keep you up. So in my own in my own view, when I weigh up all of the teams we're talking about, just in terms of grit and grind, I don't think Forest Green come out that well. Uh, and so I think they will go down. Outside of that, George, I think there's there's so much more to come from this League One relegation battle. Uh, I want to hand over to you to get your initial thoughts on, on ones that you're confident in uh, and maybe ones that you're less confident in. I, th- I think Forest Green are, are the ones I'm most confident in. I, I still think Morecambe will go down. I think it's easy because of recency bias to to say otherwise. But you know, I think over the course of the season they probably will end up being being found out. Um, I think Accrington will stay up. I think going into this process, I thought I would have them down. But looking at their um, you know the, the their record at home against the poorer teams in the division is very very good, and yet the the way the fixtures are forwarded means that they've still got most of the bottom half to play at home, and I think that'll be enough to see them through. Um, I think Burton will stay up because despite the ridiculous performance in that 5-0 defeat, I think we've seen enough under Dino Mamria to suggest they might be. The only flip side to that is have we seen what should have been their purple patch of picking up enough points go fairly pointless? And will they now re- you know, regress to a, a poor performance level that won't see them pick them up? Possibly, but I'm going to say no. I think MK Dons are going to go down, uh, personally, despite the new manager coming in. Um, I think that they've been one of the poorest if not the poorest side in the, in the league so far this season haven't seen enough yet to suggest they're better than that even though we've seen a, a, a brief uptick in, in fortunes and whether you know whether they can get the players in what in the midst of a relegation battle they need in January to, to sort it out I'm not entirely sure so Forest Green Morecambe MK Dons and my final one at Cambridge sad to say it um, but things have just been too bad for too long uh, in the last few months and because you know, I don't think sacking Mark Bonner would be the would be the the right thing to do. But I think when you've got a manager who's been so important, who's so wedded to the club, it makes it very difficult because it means that I still think he's probably a net positive on what's going on there. But then if you sack him, it's just going to create a weird atmosphere. If you keep him, when normally you'd sack another manager, it, it's it's very very difficult to know what they're going to do and what would be the right thing to do. And the performance levels are so low that they um, they're my fourth side. I agree on Cambridge United. They're in really bad shape at the moment. They've got loads of injuries which which aren't helping. That's on top of a, a squad that all of a sudden just, just looks like it's lacking quality because players that were performing um, for the best part of, of two years, a lot of them have really seemingly dropped off recently. Two-thirds of the points that Cambridge have got this season came before October. Um, that team is a long, long way away. That's not the team that they are at the moment. And I agree with you where managerially it's such a tough one. I don't see this as one where the classic late season change of manager, throw of the dice, just hope that they make a small impact to keep you up. I don't see that really applying here or making a huge difference or or really being the right way to go about things. But when you've had a group of players collectively playing so far above the level that they should which has been the case for two years. And when that then slips completely, I just don't know how easy that is to rediscover in the short term. So I've got Cambridge going down. I've got Accrington going down. Uh, Where you've got MK, I've got Accrington. uh, Six points from their last 12. Their numbers have been really ugly recently. Basically an XG goal difference of minus one. Like uh, uh, They're basically a goal worse off 
than their than their, than their opponents on average recently, um, conceding just over two goals a game, uh, with a, to my eyes a pretty poor squad and not a lot of money. Um, I imagine to improve it. Uh, another situation where, again, like I don't think well they absolutely will not be changing manager, and I would agree that that's the right thing to do, um, and yet. Well, I guess there's two ways of looking at it. If if John Coleman's really struggling in the last few months to get the normal tune out of this group of players, then maybe he isn't able to get a tune out of this group of players because maybe the players just simply aren't of the requisite level. Uh, or maybe because John Coleman's really experienced and he's been there and done it, he'll find a way. Uh, I guess we're, we're going to find that out. But I've got Accrington in the bottom four. And then for me, the last spot was basically Burton against Morecambe. Um, until this week, I was pretty bullish that Burton would be okay. I've said so many times. Even when they lost five nil to Morecambe, I kind of just put that as a ra- put that down as a random off day. But you kind of alluded to it. I wonder if they've had their burst of of Mamria energy and and excitement, and I wonder if they kind of shot their bolt a bit too early here. I I don't know as I sit here right now, how much more they have to come. And, and that slightly worries me. Like they expended so much energy physically and mentally, I think over the last few months with their approach to games and such tough fixtures as well. And I just worry that they might be a bit spent. As for Morecambe, well, clearly they're currently having that burst of energy and quality, having shown nothing basically in the first half of the season. So we don't know how long that will last or how sustainable that will be either. But last year I had a 50-50 at this point in the season, Morecambe or Fleetwood, and I sided with Morecambe. And they both say that. So there was no wrong answer there. But this year, 50-50 feels like Morecambe-Burton for me. And I'm going to side with Morecambe. Um, never been relegated in their history. Never rule out Derek Adams. Someone like Jensen Weir like, is playing at a level where I honestly think if you put him in one of the top six teams, he'd be one of their best players. And I think that could go quite a long way. So my four are Forest Green, Cambridge, Accrington and Burton, somewhat surprisingly. In League Two, which is as difficult as ever, um, last year we both picked the same top three at this point, and that was Forest Green, and that was Port Vale, and that was Northampton. So we got one out of three. Neither of us picked Exeter or Bristol Rovers, even in the playoff places, and they both finished in the top three. Mad. In the playoffs, we both had Tranmere and Swindon and Newport. So we had one of those playoff teams you also had Mansfield who made it and I had Orient who didn't Uh, and in the bottom two we both had Oldham who did go down but we also both picked Colchester to go down over Scunthorpe which quite quickly looked pretty stupid so in the league two top three George talk me through the card it's it's the three I think in terms of likeliness it's the three at the top at the moment who I've got but in different order I think Stephen Nigel win the league um, over Leighton Orient and then Northampton in third even though I do think Northampton are a little bit vulnerable um but the, the seven-point gap might be insurmountable because they are pretty rock-solid um, for, for all of their possible issues. Um, Orient's home form is absolutely incredible. Uh, like, if you're looking at their recent home record, they haven't, they've only conceded goals in two of their home games this season, I think, of 13. They haven't conceded a goal at home since October the 1st. Now, given that they've won four games, 1-0 at home, and have drawn 2-0-0, I feel like this is a bit of a ticking time bomb. Um, you know, looking at the expected goals since um, since then, uh, it's, you know, they've conceded kind of three and a half expected goals in that time. So they are still defensively very solid, but it doesn't seem to me to be built on a particularly like sustainable foundation. You know, they aren't 
blasting teams away. And we've seen in the last four games, two draws, a defeat and a, and a, and a, a one nil win in difficult circumstances against Doncaster. You know, I think they're, they're cosily enough to, to get promoted. I don't think there's going to be a sharp drop off, but I do think of the two, Stevenage are, are maybe the one with, with the staying power, although cup runs are always something of a, of a bit of an issue because you do wonder after the high of that Villa Park um, result, if it might be quite difficult to maintain that. But, that's the order I've got them, and I think Stevenage are, are rock solid. You know, their teams find it very hard to deal with them, even if they are massively overperforming their XG um, four at the moment. I still think their um, dominance in games over the opposition is, is high enough for that to, to last, and you know, the, the the buffer they've got is big. As I said, I think Northampton will end up a lot closer to fourth than they currently are, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did drop out. But most likely, uh, it's got to be them. Interesting. Yeah, I've got Leighton Orient. Uh, I think they're bulletproof. Um, I don't have as many concerns as you. I don't see as as uh, a potential for as big a drop off like Forest Green had the last season, unless they lost Smith and Archibald to major injuries. Uh, I really do see them as as pretty solid uh, overall. Uh, Stevenage, of course, the same. I don't want to put them top because I don't want to jinx my fifty to one preseason Stevenage bet. Uh, so the big question is Northampton. Will they be caught or will they stay solid uh, in third spot? They've got a decent gap. Uh, they're 15 to 8 with Betfair. That suggests a 35% chance of a top three finish. So Betfair reckons it's more probable that they won't. The big issue is picking who might get there instead because there's a huge chunk of nine teams that are between seven and 10 points back from them. And then Stockport looming there as well, 12 points back from them. I think for Northampton, I think they have a good squad and I think they have a good manager. And those are Two good things to have. They've got an amazing finisher in Hoskins, whose 16 goals in 19 starts is, to me, the the only real difference between them being where they are or with that chunk of teams seven points back on 39, 38, 37. Um, to make it easier for myself, I just tried to do a projection of their points to the end of the season. I had Northampton finishing on, on 79. That would be a, a bit of a drop-off from how they've been in the first half of the season, but not dramatic. It's one point less than they got last season. So the next question was does anyone get to 80 from the pack beneath them? And I just struggled to, to really feel confident in justifying it. So there you go. Cobblers are, are my third third place team as well. I think they do hold on to it, although I'm sure someone will pop out of that pack and put some serious pressure on them. Who do you have finishing in the playoffs, George? Because this, I mean, we might as well throw darts. So weirdly, I've got, um, for the next four places, I've got 14 teams. So... <laughs> A 14-team... I'd be up for a 14-team playoff. Yeah, so would I. Uh, yeah, Stockport, I think, will... Their class will show through, even though two troubling um, results, one in the FA Cup and one against Grimsby in the league. But I do think they will... Um, you know, Their steady progress up the table will take them into the playoffs fairly comfortably. Uh, I think Carlisle will finish there. Uh, I also think Walsall will finish there. And then, in terms of the fourth team... I am going to give it to Bradford just because, again, points on the board, they are fairly solid, but you do feel like they're a side who can throw in an absolute ricket here and there. They don't help themselves whatsoever, similar to Mansfield. I'm leaving Mansfield out for the moment. I do worry that's a bit of recency bias, possibly. Um, but at this current moment in time, especially with the, a bit of toxicity at the club as well, it feels like I can't you know Car Carlisle and Walsall and Stockport feel like clubs on the up who are performing well week in week out Bradford still feel united still feel like they're bringing, they're going to do business in January with Mansfield there are too many question marks so it's four of those five and I'm leaving Mansfield out I agree on Stockport and I agree on Carlisle United 
Uh, for my other two spots, uh, for one of them, I just asked myself the question, very straightforward, who could I see going on a big old run of 25 points in 10 games at some point? And surprised myself that Mansfield were the answer. And maybe I'm, I'm putting too much into the last few years and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm too much on the, the clough train um, because it is fair to say that, that things doesn't just, just look a bit fraught there at the moment. Um, but I still think they have it in them. So I am going to pick Mansfield to finish in the top uh, seven. And then the last one, Sutton United. I'm going to throw some weight behind. If you look at the Betfair Sportsbook odds, they are not fancied at all compared to some of these. I think they're six or seven to one to, to finish in the top seven. But there's there's nothing like, there's nothing really to suggest that they should be considered like that in my eyes, other than the, the name of the club and the size of the budget. Like, if you look at form, they're in very, very good nick. They've won a lot of games, uh, five of their last eight. They've been moving up the table. Unsurprisingly, that's coincided with all of their key men coming back. And we've said a million times, Sutton at full strength are, are right up there in this division. Maybe they don't have the depth of other teams. And and yeah, one way of looking at it is, well, they're going to need more depth and a couple of injuries will likely derail their season. That might be true, but I don't want to just predict hypothetical injuries I want to predict that a Sutton team will somehow stay fit for the rest of the season and I genuinely believe if that's the case then they will make the playoffs because I think they are that good at home and I think they're competitive enough away from home I think their style translates to pretty much any type of opponent and any type of League 2 game so uh, a dart on Sutton United uh, if they can keep everyone fit I think they make the League 2 playoffs which leaves uh, relegation uh, interested to hear your thoughts on this. Mine are as follows. I don't think that Gillingham will go down, even though Gillingham from the first half of the season are one of the worst football teams I've ever seen play in the EFL. I don't think that they will go down because I think that the changes over the last few weeks with the, the new owner in particular, but also the appointments of Kenny Jacket to be director of football, of Andy Hessentyler to provide some, some help on the recruitment side. The, the clear intent to sign players in January. I don't always love January signings, don't get me wrong, but I do think with those guys in charge, they should at least pick a couple of guys who, who can have a big impact. And I think in general, they can muster enough positive energy to move away from, from the insanely low performance levels of the last few months, particularly in attacking areas. I don't think because Jills have been the worst attacking team that I can remember in the last six months, that means they have to be exactly the same over the next five months. I don't think that has to be the case. I think they'll stay up. I think the Rochdale will go down. I think the Rochdale's change of manager, their their managerial roll of the dice, came really early in the season. I thought it had had an impact about four weeks later, but now there's no evidence really that it did. They're playing really poorly. They have very few points. I don't think they have the ability to make the additions in January that some of the other teams can do. I think Rochdale will go down. I believe in, in Hartlepool and Keith Curl's approach to survival, just about. I don't think that Colchester or Harrogate, and certainly not Newport, will go down. I think that Crawley will go down. I, I, I see such a clear way that things, I was going to say unravel there, but I honestly think they kind of already have unraveled somewhat. And I don't believe and trust in the people uh, at the club to, to turn that around. Um, of course, they've got a, a managerial appointment to make. It looks like it might be Scott Lindsay, the Swindon manager, which is a bit of a confusing situation that, that hasn't really been confirmed publicly yet. Um, and for me, Crawley needs such an overhaul of their squad in order to, to cope better with League Two football. 
I'm not sure that hiring Scott Lindsay uh, is an obvious way of doing that. I don't have a clue what their plans in January are, but I, I wouldn't have much confidence in them doing a, uh, a great job personally. So I think Crawley and Rochdale will go down. Uh, as you know, I'm pretty concerned about the trajectory that crew are, are going in general, but they're 12 points above it at the moment. And I think that there will be two teams worse than that. Yeah, I agree with Crawley. Bit of a um, climb down from me after making some excited noises pre-season. Apologies to anyone who's got um, Crawley to win the league tickets and maybe bat them to go down now. Because, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't trust at the moment. Um, I, I still think that the intentions of those in charge at Crawley are good. I just think there's been a lot of naivety in terms of the way they're running the club. Um I basically don't think anyone there has any experience of running a football club. And even you can have the best ideas in the world, but when it comes down to it, this isn't a computer game. Um, and yeah, as you say, I, I wouldn't trust them to make the right appointment. I don't think Scott Lindsay would be a particularly good appointment in my mind. I um, don't really see why anyone who has a future, a solid future at League Two level would board the Crawley ship at the moment. So therefore, I don't know what, what really they can do in terms of recruitment. So... Yeah, I think they are in massive trouble. And one of my picks, I also think Hartlepool are my second pick because I also think that Gillingham might get enough points just to stay up. I think the, the investment in January will be significant. I think Colchester have done more than enough recently with, with more incomings coming in as well. And they should be okay. Rochdale, I, I would be between them and Hartlepool in my mind. Um, but at this current moment in time, I think Hartlepool are picking up some results that I don't think they necessarily deserve. And if the, if the performances maintain the level they are at the moment, I think they will quite quickly become losses. So Hartlepool and Crawley, my two relegation candidates. Okay, well, there's enough difference in for us to, to be able to go head-to-head -head, uh, and you know my competitive juices are already flowing. So l hopefully get my own back after you You, you definitely did better than me uh, this time last year. Um, we are running a mid-season predictions competition on the NTT20 squad. The winner of it will receive a £50 donation to the charity of their choice uh, and £50 to spend on classic football shirts. So it's a pretty tasty prize, I would say. Um, that's for anyone who is on the NTT20 squad. You can sign up today. You get a two-week free trial. Now, after that, if you decide to, to join and stick with us, and I'd be confident that you will, uh, then you will pay a, a monthly subscription fee. Um, but the first two weeks and the trial are absolutely free. So if you wanted to come over, give it a go, uh, join the competition, you're welcome to do so. Um, join the squad today using the link in the description of this podcast. Otherwise, head to our YouTube channel and check out my chat with EFL 21 Under 21 star Anis Mometi of Wickham Wanderers. He does not, he hasn't given many interviews. So this is something of a world exclusive. And it's really interesting to chat about uh, him, um, some, of, some of his friends in the game that you might not have guessed about uh, and plenty of ambition as well thank you so much for listening to this episode of not the top 20 podcast your support as we kick on 2023 a big year of expansion for us we hope and we're going to be hard at work making sure that we keep providing the best efl coverage so stick with us subscribe to this podcast feed join the ntt 20 squad and we'll talk again on thursday with the betting show go well